Resiliency Within, with host Elaine miller Karras is brought to you by Trauma Resource Institute, Incorporated. Visit TraumaResourceInstitute.com. Welcome to Resiliency Within, featuring your host, Elaine miller Karras. In unprecedented times, our beliefs and well-being are put to the test. When we take the things we've learned in life and look at challenges in a whole new way, we learn to develop resiliency, which can then be used to promote healing and personal strength. Now, here is Elaine miller Karras. Welcome. I'm Elaine miller Karras, and welcome to Resiliency Within. I am so excited today because I have Michelle Beck on our show, and she is another Voice America um, radio show talk host. So I am, this is the first time I've had another Voice America um, host on, on the show, and she has a lot of really wonderful information to share with us today. And I want to say a little bit about her, but I also want to remind our listeners that we're also live streaming on Facebook um, at Resiliency Within. So Michelle is the host of Breast Friends of Cancer Support Network on Voice America's Health and Wellness Channel. She's also a two-time, nine-year survivor of breast cancer. And in 2017, she found Breast Friends of Oregon to volunteer, and and she found support there. Um, Her second journey with breast cancer led her to a new career path as a breast cancer advocate. And we're definitely going to want to hear more about your advocacy work, Michelle. And she, right now she's working on a book to tell her story, and she loves speaking to audiences about how to move forward in the face of life's trials. Michelle will share lessons learned from her cancer journey, um, including how she cultivated resiliency and found a new career. Michelle has shared with me that nothing about her cancer journey is off limits um, if it will help others. So we're going to talk and do a deep dive in her journey and also how to help yourself. You are also facing cancer, but also if you're a family member, how might you help the people that you love, your friends or family members who may be um, going through chemotherapy or experiencing um, some trials themselves. So I know that your goal is to finish the book. I also know you have a dog and you have a son and you have a husband. So, and you, and you like to travel in your RV. Is that true, Michelle? Is that what you like to do for fun? Yes. Uh, Elaine, thank you so much for having me on today. I am honored and proud to be a resilient warrior to be able to come on your show. So oh my God, thank I you. love that. I haven't had anybody call themselves a resilient warrior yet. So I'm going to have to borrow that from you. So well, at Breast Friends of Oregon, we call all of the women who go through our programs, their warriors. Uh-huh. And not everyone identifies with the fight metaphor, but as a warrior, you're just strong and powerful and you can handle whatever comes your way. And so that's kind of how we look at it. So I'll take the well, resiliency warrior. Yeah. I love that you've added the definition because I mean, I think being a warrior also is that you have that strength within you that whatever comes your way, that you have the the tools maybe in, within yourself and with the people that you love and that care about you to kind of go forward. So, so as we're starting right now, is there anything on your mind, Michelle? Wow, I will tell you, Elaine, today is a little bit of a cluster for me, um, as crazy as that sounds. So my, I have a 10-year-old son, and he started school a few weeks ago, and he is not feeling great, and he's been having stomach aches and sore throat, and I think he's having a lot of anxiety and going back to school. Yeah. One of his best friends, unfortunately, came down with COVID a couple of weeks ago, and we had a very mild, we weren't really exposed, we were masked and distanced, but 
I think he's very concerned about that. So he's been staying home from school the past few days. So my mind is really on him and figuring out the best way I can to help him. We did a rapid test on Friday and he was negative. We're doing another one this afternoon just to make sure. But I just, I want his anxiety to be quelled and to be more comfortable because, you know, school is so thankful that it's in person right now. So I just want to keep that train going. (laughs) Right. I mean, especially after having the previous year with all the kids being home. But anyway, thank you for sharing with us about your son. What's your son's name, Michelle? His name's Jackson and he's fine. He's got a bit of a cold and I think just the runny nose makes the sore throat and just getting back to being out with people, it's there's germs. And, you know, I, I'm not concerned at all that he has anything, but can't wait. Well, for that. and I am sure that mm-hmm. you're not alone, that there are many parents all over the country that when their kid gets a sniffle, they're wondering, is this a cold? Is this COVID? And mm-hmm. I mean, I think it's a, it's a natural concern. And I think that sometimes we don't think enough about how kids are taking all this, right? We're, and so the fact that you're with him and being present, and I really appreciate that you took time to come on the show uh, and be with us being that he's home there. Well, thank so, you. One thing that I really want to show him is that my, my husband also works full-time, but he works from home. But I also want to show him that I'm not just his mom and that I can have a, I can also be a good mom and have a successful career because it's not just my job to be at home with him. And, you know, he's taken care of and he's good. He's downstairs well, watching, watching a movie. So he's <laughs> oh, all good. Okay, then he's good. <laughs> well, he's with think, the dogs. Yeah. But I think you bring up something as we're starting to is that, you know, in the macro system of life right now, you know, we're having COVID. COVID is all over the place. And then there are folks that also have gotten a cancer diagnosis on top of that. Oh, yeah. And so, I mean, talk about a double whammy. That's not, that's, that's a difficult thing to have to go through. So, I'm going to ask you the next question, which is, mm-hmm. is that, if you can share with our listeners, what or who helped you along your journey? What are kind of the things that really were your things that you could hold to, hold on to? Number one, I have an amazing husband and family. So a huge support system there. I never wanted for companionship or someone to listen or to make food or take care of things around the house. Um, but I didn't realize until my second time that I was diagnosed with cancer that I needed more in terms of support of women who understood what I was going through. And that's when I found Breast Friends in 2017. I wanted to volunteer and then I just, it became an amazing place for me to go to get my my soul filled to know that I was not the only one. And I now have a sisterhood of women who know what I've been through. Yeah. And I, I think we can't underestimate that peer-to-peer support, oh. right? That no one really knows unless you've gone through it, mm-hmm. what it's like to go through it. And even though as a family member, we can empathize, sometimes it's not quite enough, even yeah. though it can so, be so nurturing to have those supportive family members. So I'm so fortunate that I found this organization. And one woman in particular, she is my silver lining of cancer. Her name is Yvonne. And we just became the other person. Like we joke all the time that we share a brain cell. And (laughs) so she and I got to work together for four years at Breast Friends. She just retired um, earlier this year, but she is the um, yang to my ying. And I know it's yin, but she, it's a whole joke. She thought it was ying. And so I will forever be ying to her yang. (laughs) Um, She bought me a a yin and yang pillow for my birthday. And, um, but we have made a 
a connection that will be with us for the rest of our lives. Yeah. So, so I always call those soul friends, you know, you don't know when mm-hmm. you're going to encounter one of those kinds of soul friends, you know, and as you're talking about Yvonne, I just can't not talk about my best friend, Pam Page, who died in 2009. And we just loved each other so much. She had a, she had a, a bunch of best friend gals that, you know, surrounded her and loved during her life and mm-hmm. also during the living with her dying. And I, I was thinking about her today as we I told you a little bit about her, but we had always made this pact when our kids were little that we said, well, if one of us goes before the other, we'll make sure we we take care of the other, other's children. And, and so her daughter is in her 30s, my daughter's in her 30s, and I very much have taken hold of that. So there's something about those friends. We don't know when they come into our life mm-hmm. that we hold on to them and we feel blessed that they came in. So I guess I'm going to dedicate this show in her memory. Oh, I um, love that. You know, as as we start this, um, Michelle, we didn't talk about that, but I, I'm kind of feeling a little bit of, of those kind of sweet yeah. tears of memory about her in my eyes as we get started. So I think that I, that's that's an amazing friendship that will still fill, fill your soul because you know how important it was to you, even though she's not yes. here, and you have her children there that you can still use that as part of her memory, which is amazing. Yes. And her grandchildren now too, that, you know, I, mm-hmm. I'm kind of their honorary grandma. So, so can we kind of segue into, you know, we talked about some questions. And so can mm-hmm. you share with us your cancer journey? That might be a good way for us to. Sure. Let, let's get uh, into what the ha- cancer. What happened, what happened to you? Yes. The damn, the damn cancer. So I grew up with cancer. My paternal grandmother had breast cancer And it's what finally took her life, metastatic breast cancer, 13 years ago. She went through it three times and as it was metastatic at the end. And I guess I was always kind of a fatalist. I was like, oh, it's in in the back of my head. I just just always had that inkling. And I was a, you know, I had the the pink ribbon keychains and all the things. So when I went in in 2012 for my yearly mammogram, I was devastated, but not surprised when I got my diagnosis. I see. Uh-huh. Um, not that you ever really want to wish something bad that's going to happen to you, but it was just, I just kind of had that inkling and I was very lucky. It was caught very early on a mammogram stage one, a ERPR positive, HER2 negative, which you won't know what that is, but to the cancer community, it's, they say it's one of the best types of breast cancer to have because it's the most easily treatable. They don't really use the word curable, but they say treatable. And I went through, I had a lumpectomy and radiation, and then I was on the standard of care medication tamoxifen for four years, which is what they give to premenopausal women who um, have had breast cancer. At the time, I was 41, I think. It's all a blur. I don't know. Uh, and they all start running together after they a do while. after a certain yes, period. Yes. It's like I was <laughs> so many years. I don't know. And then life kind of moved on. It was a fairly easy cancer journey, and I, I hate saying that, but it really was. And then I had moved on with my life. Everything was good. Four years later, I had a regular mammogram again, and I had a new primary occurrence in my other breast. Well, same same pathology, a little bit faster growing, but otherwise it was pretty much identical. And at that point, I was like, okay, they have to go. I don't need my breasts anymore. And so I chose to have a bilateral mastectomy with reconstruction, which is a, a process in itself. 
And since I had been radiated on my left side, I had to have something called latissimus backflap to have reconstruction. You can't radiate, excuse me, you cannot expand skin or muscle that's been radiated. So they have this ridiculous way of taking skin from your back, skin and muscle, pulling it around underneath the skin of your armpit and pulling it out through your breast. It, that sounds very interesting. <laughs> it's, it's very Frankenstein-esque. Yes, yes it does. Um, so I'm, I have a little more scarring than I would normally would with a reconstruction. However, I have used it as a, a canvas and I have beautiful cherry blossom tattoos along with my tattooed nipples. So I, I took something really crappy and I turned it beautiful. Oh, my goodness. Uh, that's I, a wonderful story. Yes. And also that year, I decided to have a hysterectomy and an oophorectomy, which is a word that I learned, which is when you have your ovaries removed because my cancer fed on estrogen. Uh, So any kinds of that continuing your system could have gone to another site. Yes. So I decided I don't need my ovaries. Take take them out, which put me into surgical menopause, which... um, no fun, do not recommend, but you know, I, that's what it was the best thing for me at the time. And then a couple of months later, I had reconstruction. And then now I take something called aromatase inhibitors. There's a few different kinds of that medication, but they all do the same thing. Our bodies are smart enough to take testosterone and turn it into estrogen. Wow. Because estrogen huh. is, pr- it's pretty it's pretty important in our bodies, but the medication stops that reaction from happening. But there's a, there's a lot of side effects. So I deal with that. The hot flashes, the memory loss, our brains really like estrogen. And when we don't have enough of it, I definitely have some um, memory issues. But thankfully, think- my husband laughs at them. <laughs> <laughs> so, that, so that maybe... Both of you together, you can figure out where to go. So that's a good thing to have. Well, and I think it's important that we talk about some of the side effects. And I, you know, the other thing that, that as you're talking that occurs to me, I mean, there's one thing about getting the diagnosis and getting treatment and then, okay, now I'm going to do reconstruction. And then there's your life after cancer as well. I mean, that's part of the journey, isn't it? And so, and it's not that you may not, you may need to have other medications that some individuals will have to take for the rest of their lives in order to stay in remission. Mm -hmm. Is that correct? Is that, am I saying that correctly? Because I think that's- There's there's different terms for different types of cancer. For breast cancer, generally, they don't say remission. They say no evidence of disease. Yes, okay. Or, or NED. So right now, I am no evidence of disease. And I go in every six months for checks. Can't really do a mammogram because I don't have breast tissue anymore. So really, it's how do I feel? They do physical checks with their hands and, you know, we're just hoping for the best at this point that the medication is doing its job. And so are you sensitive to how you are experiencing yourself in terms of like, oh, what is that? I'm not, that's something new. Should I go get it checked out? I mean, is there a hypersensitivity that goes along with that, um, Michelle? Yes, 100%. Okay. Last year, I had some pain around my, my sternum underneath my right implant, And it it wasn't, I couldn't correlate it to anything. I didn't hurt myself. And so I finally called and I went in and he's my oncologist. He's great. He's like, well, I don't feel anything, you know, let's go get you an ultrasound. So I went to have an ultrasound and gosh, bless this woman. I had a intern technician doing my check (laughs) and I didn't realize that at the time. And she's in there and I'm laying on the table and 
no joke, she's taking 100 pictures of my breast. You know, they go around, click, click, click with the ultrasound machine. And I was positive she was taking pictures of my tumor because there's no reason she should have taken that many pictures other than the fact that she, she was, was an intern and knew. Oh, and so I'm laying on the table. Tears are rolling down my cheeks. <laughs> oh. and, she, and she's like, I'll be right back. I just have to go get my boss to check my work. And I was like, okay. And the, her supervisor came in, did like three shots. She's like, okay, have a great day. And I was fine. Um, it was just, there's something called costochondritis, which is inflammation of your sternum, which causes pain and yada, yada. But I am hypersensitive right now. I have a, a pain in my left elbow. Like, why would I have a pain in my left elbow? Right. But the medication that I'm on does cause joint pain. I do have a lot of pain in my hands, my feet, my knees, my hips. But the elbow was new. It just showed up like six months yeah. ago. And so I think that, the, I mean, what I, the moral of the story that I've just heard, if you're concerned about a symptom that you're having after treatment, you want to go get it checked out. And because uh, and, sometimes it could be something, but many times it's not. 100%. Um, you yeah. always have to go be your own advocate. Huge advice while you're in the diagnosis and treatment period and afterwards. Our, our oncologists and our medical team are wonderful, but if you don't give them the information that they need to have to process any potential symptoms, they're not going to be able to help you going forward unless you talk to them. So would it be helpful either, either to have a little, a little notebook or maybe you could put it on your iPhone or iPad to keep like a little symptom um, inventory before you go see your doctor? So I know that for me, I, could, I forget things and then, oh, oh, I know there was something I wanted to ask them. Have you recommend doing things like that? Because you said there was a little memory loss there. So is that something that's helpful? Definitely. I actually do that. When I leave the oncologist appointment, I start a, a little note on my phone for the next time. And I will write down anything that comes up in those six months to be able to go in and talk to him because I don't remember. You know, I could, my elbow could not be hurting tomorrow when my appointment is. And he's like, how you feeling? I'll be like, good. Because it doesn't always come to the forefront of my head. Right. Okay, good. <laughs> so I, I understand that too. So, you know, I, I want to just ask you another question. Um, how did you end up hosting your own podcast? Uh, it's a bit of a crazy circle because not something, well, when I was younger, podcast didn't exist. So it wasn't like we could say, I want to be a podcast host when I grow up. But I found this amazing organization called Breast Friends of Oregon. And it's funny because my first time around with cancer, I never, I never went. And it was a mile from my house. I passed it all the time. There was, you know, and second time around, I found Breast Friends because I wanted to volunteer and give back. I was a stay-at-home mom, but I needed to do something. And I walked in the door. They gave me support. And I started volunteering. And four years later, I've never left. I started working on their HAP project, which is... We send hats out to women across the country who've gone through chemotherapy and have lost their hair. So if anyone out there is listening, you can go on our website, breastfriendsoforegon.org and go to patient programs and there's a hat project and we will send you a free hat um, with funny little sayings on them. But anyway, I started working on that, sending out hats to women, making howdy calls, which we call them calling women and hi, did you get your hat? How are you? Is there anything else we can do for you? So kind of just dipping my toe into the water of dealing with patients. And then I did that for about a year and a half. And then they actually asked me to come on as an employee, part-time, of course, because we're a very small nonprofit, as the patient programs assistant. And I started working underneath Yvonne, who I mentioned previously. She was our director of programs. 
and I helped her put on, we call them warrior workshops of practitioners coming in, talking about nutrition, different symptoms of cancer, lymphedema, life after cancer, all of these things. And she was an amazing creative person and I'm really good with the computer. So we make a really good team and did that for quite a while. And then earlier this year, the former host of um, Breast Cancer, <laughs> sorry, li- live moment there, yeah. Breast Friends Cancer Support Network. It used to be Breast Friends Cancer Support Radio. Um, I changed it to network, kind of go with the times. So many people downloaded it as a podcast. Yes. But she unfortunately was in her last stages with metastatic breast cancer. And she had asked me if I wanted to co-host with her. And of course, I was honored to do so a little nervous because I'd never thought about doing something like this. And she unfortunately passed away in April. I started doing the show in March. She was unable. And I just kind of hit the ground running. Thankfully, there was a, there was procedures in play and we, you know, work with Voice America. So they made it super easy, but I just kind of took over and I am loving it so much. So it's, we have a once a week show. It's live Wednesdays at 9 a.m. on Voice America Health and Wellness Channel, or you can search for it wherever you find your podcasts, of course, Breast Friends Cancer Support Network. But I love it. I, I love to talk, obviously. And I'm a Leo, which means everything is about me. And um, <laughs> I am an oversharer. So I figure if anything that I can talk about with my guests on our platform, if it helps one person or 10 people, for them to realize they're not the only ones and they're not alone. And, oh my gosh, I've experienced the symptom or I want to try that, you know, that type of therapy. If it can help anyone, I will talk all day long. Well, and I love what you just said about you are not alone because, Mm -hmm. I mean, I think that when we are facing um, a life-threatening condition, it can feel very lonely at times. So to have someone there by your side who kind of knows the, the experience of it must be um, must be very hopeful for people too to kind of link arms and saying, "Okay, you know, I can help you do this too. We can do it together." I hope so. We live in such a virtual world right now, especially eighteen months into COVID and the quarantine and all of those things that we're not able to connect as much in person. And the world has tuned in to podcasts, yes. which I, I joined into a. a a podcast like help help show the other day because I'm like, well, what if they're talking about things that I don't know? And the number of podcasts out there, I think, was two million. Yeah, there's a lot of us that out there. That seems really low, but, <laughs> but there's anyway, a lot. Well, but there I mean, is, and it's it's the new way to communicate. So if I can get this message across by a podcast, hundred percent, all for it. Well, and that kind of gets me to my next question about you being a breast cancer advocate. Can you talk about some words of wisdom for family members? And friends to help those going through cancer. And, you know, we, we were talking kind of in, in preparation. You have a lot of knowledge about breast cancer, but this really, what well, this question really is about anyone who's facing a cancer. You know, when we as family members kind of don't know what to say, we don't know what to do, we don't want to be too intrusive, and yet we want to just kind of want to, if you're a talker, you want to talk all the time, and the person's going, uh, stop, <laughs> too much. So, Give us your give us some good um, Michelle wisdom about this for us all out there. Wow, words of wisdom for someone who has been diagnosed with cancer. What you need to say, you are not alone. I am here for you. I am here to listen, 
And it's it can be challenging because not everyone is an extrovert like I am. For me, I'm an open book. I want to tell people about what I've been through because it helps my soul. But not everyone is a, is a share. Not everyone wants to talk all the time about, oh my gosh, I had to go through chemo today and it was so awful. And oh, and I feel like crap and and I'm afraid and and all these things. So for those families and caregivers out there, it's it's really just being being there, being a listener. And sometimes, especially for those who don't really want to talk about it, it's listening to the things they don't say. Look at their body language. Do, do they do they want you to come in and hug them and hold them or hold their hand, or do you do they just want you to maybe sit aside for a while and read a book while they're reading a book? Just having that physical presence sometimes, but really, it, it really depends on where the person is in their situation, obviously. But because if someone is metastatic, you don't want to say it's going to be better. You're going to be fine. No, those are things you definitely don't really ever want to say, like, you're so strong, you've got this, all is going to be okay, because you don't always know. But it's really important to stress that you're there for them. You go to appointments with them if you can, or just make sure if if you're not close by, make sure you check in after their appointments. Do a little research on your own. If it's, you know, something that is an obscure cancer, look it up, figure out what the diagnosis is. So, the patient doesn't have to tell you, oh, I've got MDS and you know this is what's going to have to happen because it's important for the family members as much to be informed as the patient and the patient is exhausted. Well, and I, I think as you're talking too, I, you know, with COVID, it has posed additional um, challenges. People who are going through treatment may already be immune compromised, so there already may be a distance that you may have to keep from people. But I think with COVID, that even accentuates it because a COVID, mm-hmm. you know, getting COVID could actually cause that person to lose their life. So I think that adds to it. And so, you know, one of the things I, I've noticed too, that people can text and we text a lot these days. Mm-hmm. And sometimes um, I think, especially when we're thinking about people that may prefer introversion, that it may be more even texting than talking in person. <laughs> so, I mean, we have different ways of communicating, right? I think that's an important thing to remember. A lot of times it's actually easier to text than to say something in person because you have a little bit of distance. And yeah. especially for a patient who might be scared or or super emotional, but you can send someone a text just saying, I love you. I'm here for you. And that's all they need. Yeah. So, um, so I want to let our listeners know, Michelle, we're close to our break time. I told you we were going to start talking so much. It would go by so fast. Um, we are going to come back. And when Michelle is going to give us some more information, I'm really interested. Um, you're going to tell us the best things to say or not to say to something, somebody going through treatment. And I think that's also another component. There's one thing about getting diagnosed. And then there's another thing. Okay, okay we have a diagnosis. We're, we're, I guess, a warrior in your words. We're going we're gonna to start treatment. And what do we say knowing that when people go through treatment, there's a, a whole plethora variety of different um, side effects that can happen. Mm-hmm. So stay tuned. Michelle Beck will be back with us after our break. Mm-hmm. 
Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. The Trauma Resource Institute is a nonprofit organization cultivating trauma-informed and resiliency-focused individuals and communities worldwide. Our mission is to take people from despair to hope. We believe in a world where every child and adult has the capacity to recover from highly stressful and traumatic experiences. Check out iChill, our free app that helps you learn the wellness skills of the community and trauma resiliency models. Go to TraumaResourceInstitute.com for more information. Elaine miller Karras' book, Building Resiliency to Trauma, The Trauma and Community Resiliency Models, is available on Amazon.com. The book is about how to cultivate resiliency during and in the aftermath of traumatic experiences. The book also addresses body-based trauma interventions combined with psychoeducation about the biology of trauma and resiliency. Elaine also offers personal consultations. For more information, you can contact her at elaine at resiliencywithin.com. Voice America programs are now available on your favorite connected device, including Amazon, Alexa, and Google Home. Through streams with Apple Podcasts, TuneIn, and iHeartRadio, listening to your favorite show is as easy as saying the show name followed by the word podcast. Hey, Alexa, play Finding Your Frequency podcast. If that doesn't work, try adding on TuneIn or on iHeartRadio or on Apple Podcasts. Elaine miller Karras co-founded the Trauma Resource Institute, Incorporated. The Institute provides trainings on the models Elaine developed, the Community Resiliency Model, or CRM, and the Trauma Resiliency Model, or TRM. If you would like more information about the Trauma Resource Institute or how to participate in trainings, visit the Institute's website at traumaresourceinstitute.com. That's traumaresourceinstitute.com. Trauma Resource Institute. Build resilience. Awaken hope. Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. This is Resiliency Within with Elaine miller Karras. To reach the show during our live broadcast, please call in to 1-866-472-5792. That's 1-866-472-5792. You may also send an email to elaine at resiliencywithin.com. Now, back to this week's show. Welcome back. I'm here with Michelle Beck. She is an incredible advocate for um, individuals who have experienced um, breast cancer, but she's also become very informed about how to help people with other kinds of cancers as well. And she's going to give us some more information right now about what are the best way, best things to say and not to say to some somebody going through treatment for cancer. Sure. So, all right, over to you, Michelle. So we, we did mention some of these things already, but when someone tells you you've been diagn- that they have been diagnosed with cancer, um, d- don't like act in shock and fall off a chair. Try to control your emotions and take it in because they're already in shock. They don't want to have to support you as well. So as best as you can as a caregiver or a loved one, just kind of rein it in and you deal with your shock later. 
but 100% give them as much attention as you can or as much attention as you want. And I will say over time, it generally, if you know someone goes to treatment and they are no evidence of disease or in remission, that time does heal. And I, I will say that. And it, you know, you don't might want to not say that at first, but you know, as time goes on and you can be their support person, friend, listener, everything that they need during that time, and you just kind of just be empathetic and be compassionate and kind and because someone going through treatment, it, that literally is going to be the center of their life. So if you can, just help with whatever you can take off of their plate. For me, I had people do meal trains for me. My sister hired house cleaners for me, which was one of the most amazing things ever. Find little things that you can do for someone. Not, you know, not so much saying, but just find little things. Because if you ask a cancer patient, well, what do you need me to do? They're going to be like, I don't know. You know, and most of us, myself included, have so much pride that we don't want to ask for help. So instead of asking, what can you do? Take them a meal, come over and do their laundry, go do their dishes. Or if you're far away, send them a care package, send weekly cards. I know of patients who received weekly cards from friends across the country. And it just means so much to know that someone who's not by your side is thinking about you and would be there if they could. So and those are, those are some so those are things. some of the things. So so it's actually it's like showing the person that you're present. Yes. And not being overly intrusive. And I also realize that with um with COVID, you may not be able to go in their house and wash their dishes right, or or be inside, but there are other things you can do in terms of sending things to their home. Mm-hmm. And that can be a, a booster. Um, I guess I will know that thinking you're thinking back about to, them. to my treatment time when someone could come in my house. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> I'd like to have someone come into my house and do those yeah. things. Answer, <laughs> um, you know, and thing, things to not say, like you've said, like you've got this because most of us, we definitely don't feel like we have it. Um, sometimes the super positivity can be a little detrimental to the emotions of a cancer patient because they they want to experience all of the emotions. Um, I listened to another podcast, Glennon Doyle, We Can Do Hard Things, highly recommended for everyone. But she just had an episode on making sure you feel all of the feelings to live your most authentic self because we're not going to be happy all the time. We're not going to be sad all the time. There is ups and downs. And a cancer diagnosis is definitely a down. But hopefully going through it, most people can find something to take out of it that is their silver lining. Yeah. So, and as you're going through treatment, I understand there can be lots of exhaustion, fatigue, um, not, you know, not feeling like you're, you know, your, your best self. Mm-hmm. So are there any things that you would say to family members, to how to support a person when they're maybe used to being very strong, they're the one who does everything. And now they can't do the things that they used to do. What are the kinds of things that you might suggest? Definitely just being as present as you can. And like for me, as as a mom, I had my son, dogs, stepchildren. Uh, I was not working at the time, thankfully, but just having people bring in meals and helping helping me because I I was hard to ask for help. Um, I'm very fortunate that I had a great support system that would take my son every day when I had to go to radiation. Just finding finding little ways. You don't have to make grand gestures. 
but just find little ways that you can be present and be there for, for your loved one. Well, that, you know, the, what you just said, I think is really important is like, sometimes people are not used to asking for help, especially mm-hmm. if they're the ones that are always helping. Yes. So what are the wisdom for that person? I mean, so just accept help. Well, that, that's okay. That's one thing. But how do you get past that? Is it that sometimes physically you just can't do it? If you don't get that help, then you're not going to be able to, let's say, run your household. I don't know. I just want, mm-hmm. can you elaborate upon that just a little bit, Michelle? Yeah. Sometimes you just have to let go. I, 100% of my life, I have been a type A personality. I work hard. I do, I do everything to the nth degree. I'm a perfectionist. The shoes have to be put away at night. The dishes have to be done. Things are always in their place. But not everyone in my house feels the same way. And I realized there was a point where I had to stop worrying about those things. It was a shift that I had to make in my brain that it's okay if my bed doesn't get made. It's okay if there's some dishes in the sink or there's dog hair on the floor because overall that's not going to change my big picture. Um, it's, it's You just have to make a mental mind shift to let some things go and ask for help because our friends and family, they do want to help. Everyone wants to help but they're just not sure how, but it, it's, it is hard to ask for it. I, I struggled with that. Well, and I'm also wondering about a symbiotic process. If you've talked to family members also who have a person who's been diagnosed with cancer, because I could see that what you just said about the person who has cancer, might be the same thing to say to the family member. Sometimes you have to let go of things that you would have definitely done before because mm-hmm. there may be physically more attention to the person who is, let's say, feeling more fatigued or feeling up and down emotionally because of the treatment. Mm-hmm. Oh, yes. I, my, a few months ago, I had my husband and my sister on to my, my <laughs> podcast with how do you deal when a loved one is diagnosed? And it's so funny because they had completely opposite. How do you, how do you handle these things? My, my husband is former military, so to him, everything is black and white. You, you, figure, you figure out a plan, you figure out what you're going to do, you, you take the steps in those plans, and you make it work. And to him, like, this was, just, this was just a bump in our road, and he made a plan to how we were going to get out of it. Now, my sister, on the other hand, she, she lived far away, but she did come to help me, but she lived in a state of denial that I even had cancer. She... <laughs> Um, would not even think about the fact that I actually could be sick, could have something that could take my life. And to her, she kept up that 100% positivity. So, and it was fine because I knew her personality and I am older than her by about 13 years and I helped raise her. So in her mind, there was no way she could lose me. So she just powered through and came in and did all the things that I couldn't do because one thing a family or friend can do is look around and see what's not being done now that had been done in the past. And if that's something you can help with, run with it. Well, so I want to ask you something about the positivity. So, you know, you said you just let go because you knew your little sister and how she was, but let's say you do have a friend or a family member that is coming at you with just like, you know, syrupy stuff that you're just about ready to strangle them. Mm-hmm. Um, is there any little tips that you've learned about what to say? I mean, do you need to educate them a little bit? Like, I know you love me, but mm-hmm. when you say these things to me, it makes me feel like you're not really listening to my journey. I'm not sure what exactly that is about, Maybe that's about, one of them, but that is, is about one else? of the most perfect <laughs> things to say. It just, I, I love you. I need you to help me in this way. You don't, you don't have to say like, stop doing this. 
because it's, you know, kind of how they teach us to communicate. Like, I feel not you're doing is one of those things. <laughs> yes. yes um, of course. You know, I love you. I, I, I can feel your support. How about you do this instead of that or something, you know, something to the, that effect. So actually, this idea about being an advocate for yourself is also sometimes mm. having to speak up if someone is whatever way that they may be presenting to you, whether they're overly positive or going, what happened to you? You know, here we've been talking every day of our lives and I haven't heard from you for a week. So I think sometimes people don't know what to say. So they oh, don't say mm-hmm. anything. And then that makes that might make the person feel a little bit lost. I mean, has yes. that, does that happen? And what are some thoughts about that? That definitely ha- happens. Cancer changes relationships, hands down. It, it can strengthen them or it can you know, kind of make them fall apart a little bit. I myself had a wonderful friend and she didn't deal well with cancer. And we just kind of drifted apart because, and I, I love her. She loves me. She just didn't know what to say. And she didn't like to think that I had cancer. So we just kind of backed apart from each other because, and you know what? It's okay. I don't, I don't blame her. You know, we're still friends, but not everyone is going to know what to say because this is, and especially being younger, cancer does happen more often as we get older. She just didn't know what to say. And she was also afraid that something was going to happen to me. It, and it, it does change relationships. But then I have had other friends who showed up out of the blue with a, a cozy sweater that I had, had on this morning from a, a girlfriend that was like a preschool mom friend. And we became wonderful friends. Just it's, it affects relationships differently and it's not always going to be good, but you just take, take right. the good and move forward. Well, so it almost sounds like it's keeping an open mind is that um, unexpected things happen. So mm-hmm. people that you might think may be supportive, maybe will not. And other people who you didn't even think would show up with the, whether, whether it's a, a meal or with a sweater, mm-hmm. oh my goodness, I didn't, you know, that's a new connection. Yeah. Cancer will definitely surprise you in so many ways. <laughs> so it's just one of the ways it can surprise you. Mm-hmm. Okay. So, um, so this is uh, another one of the questions that we talked about. What is the best way to educate yourself as a friend or caregiver to help your loved ones through the various treatments that they may go through? I know you mentioned going through some sites and learning mm-hmm. about um, the, maybe the cancer that they have and the treatments. So are there things on top of that, uh, the other other things? Definitely. Well, if, if you are a family member and you are do have the option to go to appointments with them, go because the cancer patient is going to forget 90% of what they've heard at that appointment because our brain is literally just sitting there. And it's like the doctor is a parent on Charlie Brown. And so the family member or friend who is with them can literally pay attention and learn, but Google it, ask questions, you know, go to places like the American cancer society or cancer.org check out books, you know, look for podcasts. There is a ton of information out there because you don't want to have to bombard the patient with questions because they have their own questions. But I think what you said, but go to the right website, because I know there's so much when you Google them, but you you mentioned a couple. Can you repeat those again? So I really want to get our listeners to know which sites to go to. Definitely. Correct information. Uh, The American Cancer Society and cancer.org. Those are both great places that you can go and look for accurate information. Um, One of the things that Elaine and I briefly talked about over break that I want to throw out there as well. um, Quick statistics in terms of breast cancer. 
it affects one in eight women, but it affects one in 833 men during the course of their lifetime. So women are a thousand, or excuse me, a hundred times more likely to get breast cancer, but men do still get breast cancer and there are resources out there. One of them is malebreastcancercoalition.org. I know that's a mouthful. So malebreastcancercoalition.org. And, but unfortunately, cancer overall is more common in men. Not by much, but a little bit. And um, the most common types of cancer are breast cancer for women, but then prostate cancer for men is the most prominent cancer in men. But there is a support, um, excuse me, a website generally for men, which is called malecare.org. Malecare.org, because we really yes. want also our, our listeners, our male listeners to know mm-hmm. that there are supports. And I also, I didn't ask you this before, but I, I, I should have, is that are, how about people that don't necessarily identify as male or female? Are there, you know, um, gay, lesbian, LGBTQ support networks for um, cancer survivors as well? There are. I don't have any of the, the names off the top of my head, but we have, a, Breast Friends has an online um, Rainbow Warrior Support Group, which does help those in the LGBTQ plus community. I think that's yes. correct. Yes. AI, and it keeps growing. LGBTQAI plus. I think that's what it is. So, so there are resources out there and Google it. There are Facebook groups out there. So, you know, search on Google, search on Facebook. There's a, there are resources out there. It's just taking the first step to find them. So, um, the other thing that I wanted to make sure, oh my goodness, I knew our time was going to slip away. We had about 10 minutes left and I <laughs> want to make sure because I know there's other issues that, you know, we're talking about cancer treatment. We're talking about, you know, there was a life that you had before the diagnosis of cancer. And one of them that you, we discussed um, when we were preparing for the show was sex. Mm-hmm. And so, well, what if you want to have a sexual relationship with your partner? Is that still possible? And I imagine if they're, if you're really um, experiencing some severe physical symptoms, you may not feel that sexual, but um, I, I'm just throwing the questions out because I know mm-hmm. you had shows on this before, Michelle. So what do you have to say about that? Yes. So listeners out there, if you are interested and want a whole hour about this, um, go look for my podcast. I believe it was August 11th, um, Sex and Intimacy After Cancer. But yes, of course, you can still have a intimate relationship with a partner or whoever you want. So it, you know, not everyone is partnered up, but everyone, everyone still gets to have, you know, that joy of intimacy, but it will take some mind shift changes because your body has changed for many women personally, who've many women who've gone through breast cancer or surgical menopause, different things like that, especially if you have changes in your hormone levels in your body, it can be very challenging to have regular intercourse because the we're getting technical here. Um, you lose elasticity and lubrication in your vagina often. And so it can be very painful and you really have to, if you, this is something that you want back in your life, you work at it like anything else. So you do the research, you can go to different doctors. There's things like pelvic floor therapy that can help get everything back functioning like you want it to. Um, the proper lubrication is an amazing thing. Uh, one of my guests on the, the show, she's like, lube, lube is your best friend. But 
the there are definite body things which you know can make it difficult but the most important thing to do is communicate with your partner and if, because during treatment for the majority of people the last thing they want to they want to deal with is sex of any kind they're tired they're not feeling good they're having body image issues there's so many things that are a part of it but unfortunately intimacy is a big part of our lives and so during treatment it will change if you want intimacy it may be snuggling and talking and just having those moments where your your bodies are connecting and sometimes that's all you're going to get at that time period but once treatment is over and you're ready to get back into that part of your life 100% communicate with your partner I'm experiencing this, this, and this. Can you help me with this? Uh, one thing the sex therapist recommended, do not talk about this in bed, right? When you're wanting to do something intimate. Talk about it before because when you're, when you're in that moment, the last thing you want to worry about is, oh, I don't know if this is going to work and I don't really feel like I have any, you know, any va-va-voom going on right now because the hormones aren't there to do the kickstarting. So, communicate with your partner, talk to your doctor and see what they can do to help you with the different changes in your body. Because most of us don't want to stop being intimate, you know, but it might just be a new way. Right. And I could just, I'm just thinking about, you know, there's kind of no roadmaps, right? You know, here you, you have a partner, something like this happens to you and now, oh, well now we have to talk about many things and, 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 you know, intimacy is, is one very important part of our life. But as you said, there's other ways of being intimate without having intercourse. Mm-hmm. And I think the other part of that is I know that for some families, it's sometimes it's helpful to go see a therapist, to see a therapist who understands about cancer diagnoses. And I want to say that not every therapist does. So you might need to do a little research. I imagine with your support network, you may know people around the country that have specialties in this area. But I think that's another important piece because sometimes you might need to have somebody outside of your family system to help with all the different emotions that are happening and also to help with some ideas that, again, you might get a new roadmap that you didn't know when you started out you know, being together that you need to implement. So I really want to encourage people to think about that as well. So yes, this I cannot of- recommend getting a therapist more. <laughs> I, I definitely saw a therapist after my treatment and Hunter, she was just amazing, but it's not always the easiest thing to talk to your partner about sex. It's funny. We, we do very intimate things with them, but we can't talk about them. And that's, you, you need to figure that out to, to well, go and, forward. You know, I used to be a teacher of family medicine. I used to teach young doctors about um, asking their patients about their their uh, their sexual function. And I found that just because you were a doctor didn't mean that you knew how to do that. We were <laughs> teaching them how to do that because it's not something, even though it's something that many people do, it's not something that many people sometimes talk about. So I think mm-hmm. this is kind of segues perfectly into um, a question that I, I, I want to get to before we end today. And that was, can you tell us about the Life After Cancer series? I think this would probably be a very important topic as well. Sure. So I am blessed to have the friendship I do with Yvonne, who I mentioned previously. She was the director of programs at Breast Friends, and she put together this amazing workshop series, which some of the information she did take from Sharon Hennepin, who was the found, one of the founders of Breast Friends about thriving beyond cancer. And actually, Sharon has written a book called Thriving Beyond Cancer, so find it. Um, but the, in this series of Life After Cancer, we talk about the period when treatment ends, when your doctors 
and your medical team says, okay, you're good. Bye-bye now. And you're like, well, what do I do now? And so in this series, it's three parts. We talk about how to dip your toes back in the water of life, how to find your, we call it normal plus, because it's you, you have a different life now after you've had cancer. It will change you mentally. It will change you physically. But how do you, how do you figure that out? Because especially their experiences of women that we have found, they have problems with body image. You feel like you're not enough. How do you communicate what you're feeling with the outside world? And then fear of reoccurrence. And so in this Life After Cancer series, we talk about the wheel of different things in your life and the different spokes on the wheel. Some of them, it ranges from physicality, uh, profession, social life, spirituality, sex, your family, all these different things. Which ones of these spokes are a little shaky? Which needs work? And then you assess your values in life. What are the most important things to you? And what are the most important things that are actually happening now? And how do you get from one point to the other to get to where you want to be? And one thing she also talks about in this series is setting non-goal goals. Because setting goals can be very intimidating. Like, I'm going to run a marathon. Well, how about you start with, I'm going to go walk today. So figuring out how to set goals to give yourself grace. And so I'm wondering, as we're almost time, we're almost it's almost time to end our time together. And I'm going to definitely come, have you come back because I really do want to talk about, you know, um, end of life issues too. And I think mm-hmm. you have so much wisdom to share with us. But um, what is a parting thought that you want to leave everyone today, in a sentence or so? Oh my. Um. That's a hard one. That's a big question. Really just the fact that find the find the positive things that cancer can bring into your life because most of it is sucky and you really have to do the work because it can bring some beautiful things into your life. And there may be people listening that says, I want to I want to contact that person in the future. So can you tell us what is the best way to contact you, uh, Michelle, if people want to send a message to you or want to get in touch with you? Sure. Well, you can listen to my podcast at On Voice America or wherever you get your podcasts, Breast Friends Cancer Support Network. Uh, if you'd like to email me, my email is Michelle Beck at breastfriends.org or go to our website, breastfriends. Um, Maybe it is just breastfriends.org. You know, I'm having a cancer moment. Um, But I write also at a blog called I Never Liked Pink. Um, You can follow me on Instagram at I Never Liked Pink. So there's there's lots of ways to find me, but I would love to... Um, to hear from anybody out there who has questions. Well, and Michelle, I want to thank you from my my deepest heart and soul for you to come on today. Um, also, taking in light, Jackson's not feeling so well. And thank you so much for sharing your wisdom. I hope that our listeners, um, I know that they have gotten so much from you that may be dealing with this, with cancer in their life. And I also want to just say to our listeners, so remember what's true in your life. If anything, she is truly a resiliency warrior. I mean, when I, when I hear all the things that Michelle has done and is doing in her life as really a result of the trial that entered your life when you had breast mm-hmm. cancer, you are an amazing healer. And I know that many of our listeners can do the same thing because sometimes it just starts with that one person that remembers what else is true in life. 
um, besides the trial that we're dealing with to lean into that, but then lean into the rest. So thank you, everyone. This is Elaine Miller-Karras from Resiliency Within signing off for today. See you next week. Thank you so much for joining us this week for Resiliency Within. Please tune in again next Monday at 4 p.m. Eastern Time and 1 p.m. Pacific Time for another edition featuring your host, Elaine Miller-Karras, on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. We'll talk again soon. Resiliency Within, with host Elaine Miller-Karras, is brought to you by Trauma Resource Institute, Incorporated. Visit TraumaResourceInstitute.com.